You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Tax Wrap Podcast. We're doing episode 131. I'm Steve Burnham. I'm joined today by Peter Adams. Hello, Peter. G'day, Steve. Uh, now, a lot of listeners will know Peter. Uh, Peter uh, leads uh, tax discussion groups a lot of the time, has held several webinars and seminars, and will be continuing to do so on behalf of Tax and Super Australia. So um, I feel privileged to have Peter here today because he's going to give us all the good oil on things to do with, well, tax time, the current tax time. And um, Peter, you were talking about uh, the sorts of things. Uh, now, we, we were going to look at the income side of things first of all, I think we, we agreed to. Yeah, I, th- I thought we'd just take the opportunity, Steve, to um, sort of reflect on what are the key uh, disclosure components in individual tax returns that practitioners and tax agents need to turn their minds to, so to speak. Okay. Um, the things uh, they need to focus on. Absolutely. Because yeah, have um, things changed? or Well, uh, not change in terms of the tax return form as much, Um, but certainly changes in terms of legislation and um, the ATO focus areas and court judgments that perhaps may give practitioners and tax agents a different slant uh, when they're analysing disclosure points in individual tax returns. Okay, so they shouldn't just go in open slather and just fill it out? Absolutely, it's not just uh, a case of simply doing what you did last year. Right. Uh, It's also... um, Um, uh, taking cognizance of what's transpired over the last 12 months or so Mm. in terms of legislation, but also in terms of court judgments and rulings and ATO approaches. Because there have been uh, a lot of changes, haven't there? Uh, there's been a fair bit of changes, mm. um, and not all of them are specific to individual tax returns, but no. there, there are a few few changes um, uh, to, to be aware of. Okay, as, so as what, we what are we looking at then? On well, on, on the income side, I guess um, one of the first items to disclose uh, on the income tax return for individuals is, of course, disclosing income by way of salary and wages. Uh, and here, I just um, want to impart on practitioners just to be aware that there's obviously clients that they that they may do tax returns for that would have salary sacrificed um, part of their remuneration in the form of a benefit pre-tax. Right. Uh, and so, what would normally be disclosed on the payment summary, which is the source document for the practitioner making disclosure of wages in item one of the individual tax return uh, would just be disclosed the net income. And sometimes these salary sacrifice arrangements aren't really effective for tax law purposes in the way it's been implemented and structured by the employer, which has the net result that those salary sacrifice amounts are actually taxable income. Amounts. Oh, I see. Um, and uh, hence, should be disclosed in the tax return. So part of the practitioner's checklist question um, is really to test whether those salary sacrifice arrangements are indeed effective. Yep. And, and the key element here is about timing. Okay. It can only be effective if it's sacrificed before the income had been earned. So typically what people salary sacrifice is things like bonuses and the like. And if those bonuses had already been earned in the sense that the individual person may have actually satisfied their KPIs to derive the bonus and actually have a letter from HR or payroll suggesting they have the bonus and um, asking them to indicate how they want to 
uh, get the bonus either in the form of a cash payout through payroll yep. or by salary sacrificing it, that would be a point too late to really, salary really. sacrifice. Gosh, even though they haven't got the money yet, it's, it's yes, deemed to be absolutely. Earned. They've earned it. Well, and that's so a bit of a trap. at that point, you can't really salary sacrifice. So it's that type of timing issue mm. that practitioners just need to be conscious of yep. where they do have these taxpayer clients that have salary sacrifice. Mm. So mm. the question is, have you salary sacrificed? And the next question is, is it an effective salary sacrifice arrangement? Yeah, and when? Uh, no, well, that all Correct. Comes it's all yeah. turns on the timing. Yeah. So that's certainly one area where we're starting to see a lot of ATO activity now. Oh, really? Uh, in testing uh, the effectiveness of these salary sacrifice arrangements. Um, the other areas in, uh, in the area of allowances, which is uh, disclosed as item two uh, in the individual tax return, effectively as an income receipt. Um, now, here the ATO points out that allowances by their nature represent taxable income and need to be disclosed as such, particularly when they appear on a payment summary yep. um, that the employer issues. But there's certain types of allowances, or one particular type of allowance, that is not income taxable. It's outside the income tax framework, and it's a living away from home allowance. Um, now, living away from home allowance is an allowance, but it's actually taxed under the fringe benefit tax framework. Right, under FBT. As a fringe benefit. Right. What very often happens in practice, if you go and look at a payment summary, there's an allowance box on the payment summary, and sometimes you see in there indicated a living away from home allowance, a LAFA, yes. uh, which is incorrect, because if it is truly a LAFA, it shouldn't be anywhere on the payment summary because it's in the fringe benefit tax framework, not the income tax So this framework. is a, an oversight by the employer? This is an oversight by the employer. And it could be wrong, Steve, for one of two reasons. It could be wrong because it's just a misdescription. What it actually is is a travel allowance. Oh, yes. And yeah. it's just misdescribed by the employer as a living away from home allowance. Right. Which right. means the treatment by the employer may be quite correct. Being on the payment summary? Being on the yeah. payment summary. Yeah. It's just a misdescription, as it were. So how can you get around that? What questions should one ask? Well, the, the key element here is firstly to establish, is it just a misdescription? Mm. Or indeed, whether it is actually a living away from home allowance, which means it shouldn't be on a payment summary at all. No, no. Uh, and so what the ATO uses is a rule of thumb to distinguish between travel allowances and living away from home allowances. Mm -hmm. The ATO has a 21-day time frame. So the idea is if the individual is away from home for more than 21 days, then it's more likely a living away from home allowance. I see. If it's less than 21 days, then it's more likely to be a travel allowance. So that's a simple question you can just Correct. ask at the outset. That's the type of question okay. that will have to feed into your checklist. Right, okay. That's the other area of income disclosure in the tax, that part of the tax return is relevant to things like payments that individuals receive on termination of employment. Oh, yeah. Now, if it's an employment termination payment, most payroll departments um, have their systems pretty much um, well up to standard in terms of picking this up and the correct POIG withholding relevant to it. Right. Where the tax practitioner's analysis comes in is to ask the question whether that is an out-and-out -out employment termination or whether it's actually a situation of genuine redundancy. Oh, I see. And if it is, of course, genuine redundancy, then a significant part of it is tax-free. Yes, yeah. And so this is where part of the analysis comes in. And the questioning is about, uh, has that actual job come to an end? 
uh, and that therefore the entirety of the payment is not to be treated as an employment termination payment. Right. right. A significant part of it would be tax-free. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that's an area where we're starting to see um, some elements of where employers and payroll departments don't quite appreciate the nuance of what makes the payout a redundancy as opposed to what makes it an employment ETP. termination payment. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I see. Okay. Um, and then I guess the other area um, is on the dividend front. Oh, um, yeah. Item 11 of the individual tax return requires disclosure on dividends. Um, and the, the requirement there is about uh, disclosing not just the dividend amount, yeah. but also the franked amount. And the source document the practitioner would often use here is the dividend distribution statement. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it does appear come through on the pre-fold. So the question here is, uh, do we have, as an individual taxpayer, being a shareholder, uh, having a distribution statement that suggests you've got X amount of dividend yep. plus uh, a corresponding amount of franking credit available to you as a franking credit tax offset, does that suggestion in the dividend distribution statement, as well as the pre-fill maybe, um, does that afford automatic entitlement to the franking credit tax offset? Right. And the short answer to that question is, of course, no. We have in our law an integrity measure that seeks to test whether the recipient shareholder is indeed a qualified person. And what that means is whether they had held the shares at risk for at least 45 days. Oh, that's right. That's um, the 45-day rule, correct. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I see. And, and very often we don't bring that into our questioning because there's no entitlement to the franking credit unless you answer that question in the affirmative. The only way you can escape that question is if your total franking credit is less than $5,000. Okay. Right. And so that's also part of what the ATO particularly focus on because they've got data matching exercises now yep. on shared transactions and the like. Oh, right. So they mo they're more likely to know it anyway. Et cetera. Okay. Um, yep. So that's one area we need to be particularly focused on yep. Yep. Uh, as well. Um, so, and the last area on the income side, which is always something that's a little bit tricky, is capital gains, of course. Oh, where right. you have individuals that have disposed of assets and derived capital gains mm. as a result. Yep. Uh, and, of course, the question here is whether they can reduce that capital gain through some sort of rollover, uh, through some sort of exemption. Yep. Uh, or they might well be an individual that's carrying on a business as a sole trader and therefore may have entitlement to the small business capital gains tax concessions. Yeah, which is something I would ask about. There's also, isn't there a timing thing? Is that own the asset for 12 months? Uh, yeah, so that's under the general CGT discount, Steve. So, uh, so to avail yourself of that 50% general discount, yep. uh, you need to have held the asset for at least 12 months. Right. But in addition to that, if you're also a small business, you may get some additional concessions through the capital gains tax framework. Yep. And it's about testing the entitlement to that, um, that practitioners have to particularly pay attention to the status and the profile and the circumstances of their client of yeah. their client yeah yeah that's interesting uh, as such yeah. um, and that's that's probably the key areas just to be aware of in terms of ATO focus areas on, on the income, income side, side. there's yes. some really good points and some good tips to keep in mind for uh, for tax time there for a lot of practitioners now Okay, so that's the income side. Now, what about the expense side, Peter? What's well, going on there? What we're starting to see on the expense side, which 
there is in reality always going to be more activity on the expense side as okay, far as really? the ATO is concerned. Yep. Uh, in challenging uh, taxpayers in terms of being absolutely um, um, correct in their analysis in claiming deductions yep. for yep. these types of expenditures. I think didn't the uh, Jordan, the Commissioner, mention work-related deductions Absolutely. last week, honey? Yes, and, yeah. And it's one of those areas which is a particular focus area uh, because for some of these work-related expenses, for example, work-related travel expenses, yep. um, there's a capacity to have a exemption from substantiating the expenditure itself. And those are the instances where you receive, for example, a travel allowance on the income side, yeah. which is within the ATO's reasonable allowance limits, which is a limit that the ATO publishes every year and um, sets that limit every year. If you have an allowance within those reasonable limits and you have an expenditure against it on the other side, then you are able to claim the expenditure um, without requirement for substantiating the expense. Yeah. But of course, the substantiation concession is around the quantum of the expenditure. You still need to be able to say that you've actually incurred the expense right. in the first instance. And so what there seems to be a perception of within the ATO, and I guess not without merit, because there has been instances where this has been shown to be the case, yeah, yep. that there are certainly some taxpayers out there and practitioners that operate under the understanding that as long as you claim up to the ATO's reasonable allowance limits, that you are home free <laughs> as far as the deduction goes, which is, of course, not true. Not always true. Uh, it sounds like they view it as a $300... Uh, absolutely. Uh, ...limit or whatever that Correct, is. Yeah. in terms of some of those expenses, and there's different limits for the travel allowances and laundry allowances. These are all these... Re and overtime meal allowances, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what we're starting to see is the ATR holding taxpayers to account, saying you may well fall within the substantiation reasonable limit, uh, but we can still ask the question as to whether or not you actually incurred the expense. <laughs> um, and this is where taxpayers are now coming a crop on the, on the deduction side, yeah. that when they are actually tested on whether or not they've actually incurred the expense, uh, they've just assumed that um, holding no documentation whatsoever would be okay. Um, but uh, it becomes very difficult to evidence the fact that you've actually incurred the expenditure without um, some documentation. Well, especially these days, there's always like a bank transaction or something Absolutely. around it. Uh, and so certainly that's one of the areas where the ATO does have this perception right. that uh, people have been doing the wrong thing and have, uh, have had a belief that what they were doing was the right thing, but it turns out not to be the correct thing. Okay. Uh, and so it's about schooling not just um, the tax profession and tax professionals in uh, what they need to impart to their taxpayer clients, but taxpayers themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is one of those areas that is a, an acute focus. It, you're saying the, the ATO are focusing on that? Area. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, and I've just made one example of work-related travel expenses, but it's also self-education expenses, oh, yeah. uh, which has a similar... Uh, we've always in the past, and most practitioners will tell you, that in the past, we, when we think about self-education, expenses, we used to apply a very simplistic analysis to say if the job is the same as the course, you get the deduction. Okay. And uh, the ATO correctly suggests that that's not really the analysis. The analysis should be, has the expense of the course been incurred directly in gaining or producing your assessable income?
Ah, yes. And so what that begs is perhaps a hypothetical question of this nature. Um, if you go to the employer of such a person and you said to the employer, what if this person didn't do the course? Would they still have their job and earn their income? And the employer would suggest, yes, this is a good worker. <laughs> um, they would still have their income and earn their income irrespective of whether they did the course or not. I see. Uh, then it becomes a little bit hard to argue that the course fee is necessarily incurred in the course of gaining producing a successful income. Perhaps the taxpayer wanted to show the document, that he, <laughs> the diploma to the boss and say, well, how about a pay rise? That's, but who that's knows? right. And so, so it is a form of verification that the ATO seeks out here. Okay. Uh, yep. for, from the employer to create some sort of nexus mm. between the expenditure and the gaining of producing yep. of assessable income. Not just necessarily the job is the same as the course. No, no, okay. no, okay. Um, and so that's another area where we're starting to see some action uh, from the ATO uh, relevant to challenging taxpayers right. as to the deductibility of their of their claims. Yeah, that's fair enough. So just on all those kind of expenses, not specifically just travel or self-education, no, that type of uh, That type claim. of expenditure, that work-related type of expenditure is, is something they're looking at very, very closely. Right, right, okay. Uh, and then what they're also looking at now, if you're an individual that is a landlord owning uh, a rental property, um, they're also looking at expenditure claims relevant to uh, rental income. Uh, As in up so upkeep and repairs uh, and all in that? In terms of, yeah, and also in terms of apportioning expenditures where we're talking about jointly held properties, oh, yeah. etc. Um, so that's certainly a focus area. Uh, also, they're looking at properties that are essentially used as, for example, a holiday house for the family. Uh, right. uh, but yep. it is being treated as if it is wholly a rental property. Okay. Um, and so there's no element of apportionment um, relevant to expenditure in those instances. And I've also heard the uh, the whole mates rates thing is being looked yes, at. Uh, don't absolutely. just charge someone, you know, a cheap rate because it's not uh, absolutely above board. Absolutely. Yeah. So so it's certainly one of those things uh, which as a practitioner you want to you wanna focus on a little bit more this year than uh, perhaps in prior years because it is those areas that the ATA particularly looks at when it comes to uh, individual taxpayers. Right. There's another area that I should mention. Yep. From time to time, um, depending what's happening in our own lives, uh, we might feel inclined to make a donation of sorts uh, to some sort of charity. And the tax law affords you a, du a deduction for that provided that that organisation is what is called a deductible gift recipient. Right. Uh, what is uh, happening in the marketplace, uh, depending on your level of donation, you might receive one or more uh, corresponding benefits from, from this body. Because mm -hmm. um, some of these bodies categorise their donors as platinum donors, gold donors, silver donors. Oh, right. Depending yeah. where you sit in the <laughs> hierarchy, you might get some or other benefit in return. What, more than a pen or uh, a more flower? More than or? just a pen <laughs> or a little trinket or oh, something right. like that. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, donation deduction is subject to the fact that you haven't received a material benefit in return. 
Ah, and, really? And typically what the ITO suggests uh, in terms of materiality is if the value of the return benefit is more than 20% of the value of the donation, ah, yeah. then it might impede your deduction of the donation. Oh, dear. <laughs> and so this is something that we just need to be conscious of because yep. we now have high-value deductions for donations being claimed yep. uh, by certain taxpayers that we just need to be conscious of of that as well because yeah. that's another area. So keep, particularly keep the generosity going, but just be aware of the tax Correct. possible tax consequences. <laughs> <All right>. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, thank you very much, Peter. There are some fantastic tips for the uh, this tax time. Uh, thank you for being with us, and thank you, listeners. Please come back next week.